1: Uh, my name is Colin and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to CWB's Financial Group's uh, Q3 earnings conference call and webcast. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speakers remarks, there'll be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number 1 on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star then the number two. Thank you, Mr. Matt Rudd, you may begin your conference.
2: Thank you, Colin, and good morning, everyone, and welcome to our third quarter 2020 financial results conference call. Uh, My name is Matt Rudd, and I'm the senior vice president leading our finance and investor relations teams. I'd like to remind listeners and webcast participants that statements about future events made on this call are forward-looking in nature and based on certain assumptions and analysis made by management. Actual results could differ materially from expectations due to various risks and uncertainties associated with CWB's business. Please refer to our forward-looking statement advisory on slide number 17. The agenda for today's call is on the second slide. Presenting to you today are Chris Fowler, our President and Chief Executive Officer, who will provide an update on the proactive approach we have taken to assist our clients through these challenging times and to continue to execute on our transformational strategy. Carolyn Graham, our executive vice president and chief financial officer, will follow up with further detail on our third quarter financial results. We'll then open the lines for the question and answer session before Chris returns to provide his closing remarks. I'll now turn the call over to Chris.
3: Thank you Matt and good morning. We delivered solid results this quarter as our teams continue to work diligently to support our clients and prudently and proactively manage through the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the Canadian economy and financial markets. We also continue to execute against our strategic priorities on all fronts as we prepare for the opportunities of tomorrow. On June 1st, we closed our strategic acquisition of TE Wealth and Leon Frason Associates, leading wealth management providers. The transaction is fully aligned with our strategic direction and will enhance our ability to provide a full suite of wealth management services with an extended geographic footprint, supporting our continued growth of strong client relationships across the country. With a significant portion of our new client base in Ontario, these businesses will help us accelerate full service client growth. As we just opened our full service branch in Ontario on August 4th, the Mississauga branch in addition to two other branches we relocated this quarter, feature a new client inspired design with open, adaptable, and collaborative spaces that are tailored to the u- unique needs of our target business owner clients. This quarter, we delivered a milestone on our digital roadmap, which will support our strategy for continued growth of branch raised deposits. The launch of a fully digital onboarding for Motive Financial allows clients to open an account virtually and transact immediately. This will be followed by digital onboarding for the remainder of our personal banking clients in the fourth quarter of this year and expand to our business clients next year. We have not slowed on any timelines or progress on our digital transformation roadmap. We believe that the targeted capabilities our digital program delivers will augment full-service client growth across our expanding national footprint. Each of these achievements are key steps on CWB's journey to be a disruptive force in Canadian financial services and deliver breakout growth in the years to come. Turning to slide four. We were reminded by events across North America this summer that highlight the challenges people continue to face in our communities due to systemic racism. At CWB, as part of our core values, we put people first and believe that inclusion has power. So this quarter, we enacted expanded measures and support in the fight against systemic racism. We acknowledge our gaps and our own commitments and we will tackle it with intention. As public health measures to contain the spread of COVID-19 began to relax this quarter, we continue to provide a safe and healthy environment for our clients and our team members. Our dedicated teams remain in frequent communication with our clients to support them through the reopening of provincial economies, and we have seen significant reductions in payment deferral arrangements. As of this week, 64% of the deferrals we previously granted have returned to full scheduled payments. Under 10% of loan balances currently remain under some form of payment deferral, with over half of those making interest-only payments. New deferral requests have slowed to a nominal amount and we expect continued success in working with our clients to help them resume normal payments. We have fully triaged our loan book to find the right solutions for our clients and assess evolving risk profiles, with a focus on portfolios particularly affected by the current economic challenges. The exposures we continue to pay close attention to include the hotel and restaurant sectors that represent just under 5% of our total loans, the office and retail real estate estate sector at approximately 4%, and the oil and gas production and oil field service sectors that represent under 1% and 2% respectively. We have insignificant exposure to air travel our exposures within these industries remain stable are well diversified and supported by high quality resilient borrowers that we have handpicked we deeply understand their business and the individual exposures nevertheless we continue to carefully monitor them and the entire loan portfolio for signs of weakness and will follow our normal practice to work closely with borrowers experiencing financial hardship. As you can see on slide five, our disciplined strategic execution has built a strong and stable foundation at CWB. We expect our continued focus to transform our business and invest in our digital capabilities supported by our talented teams will enhance our differentiated full service client experience and position us for accelerated growth as the economy stabilizes. Thanks to our team's passion and dedication to support our clients and advance our strategic initiatives, we will be ready for the future despite today's volatile operating environment. We continue to expect approval to transition to the advanced internal ratings-based approach for regulatory capital and risk management before this fiscal year-end. Utilization of the AIRB approach is expected to result in improved capital ratios that better reflect the strength of our underwriting and balance sheet. The transition to AIRB will also help us compete on a more level playing field against the large Canadian banks and position us to deliver higher growth and profitability with an enhanced view of risk. Achievement of AIRB is a foundational capability for us and will enable us to realize our full potential across Canada. I will now turn the call over to Carolyn, who will provide more detail on our third quarter financial performance.
0: Thank you, Chris, and good morning, everyone. As Chris mentioned, on June 1st, we closed the acquisition of the businesses of TE Wealth and Leon Fraser & Associates. Our financial results this quarter included two months of operations from these businesses, which contributed $6 million to wealth management non-interest income, and $8 million to non-interest expenses which included $2 million of one-time integration and acquisition costs as well as the amortization of acquisition-related intangible assets. We continue to expect the acquisition to support adjusted EPS share EP, earnings per common share modestly at first with further accretion beginning in Fiscal 2022. The acquisition also increases our contribution of non-interest income to total revenue to approximately 12% for Fiscal 2021 with a negative impact on operating leverage in both fiscal 2020 and 2021. As you see on slide 6, the impact of market disruption related to the COVID-19 global pandemic on the Canadian economy has put significant downward pressure on our financial results compared to the prior year. Our third quarter common shareholders net income and earnings per share were lower compared to last year, reflecting an elevated estimated performing loan provision for credit losses due to an adverse shift in forward-looking economic conditions, combined with a reduction in net interest margin reflecting the lower interest rate environment. Our pre-tax, pre-provisioned income was up 3% compared to the same quarter last year, as 4% revenue growth was partially offset by a 5% increase in adjusted non-interest expenses. We delivered an increase in net interest income as the benefit of 5% loan growth was largely offset by a 20 basis point decline in net interest margin. Our non-interest income was up 37%, primarily due to wealth management fees contributed by the acquisition, along with higher net gains on securities. The increase in non-interest expenses related entirely to the wealth acquisition, as our continued investment in our teams and technology to support overall business growth was fully offset by reduced spending in certain expenses in light of the current operating environment. Excluding the impact of the acquisition, Our efficiency ratio was 45.7% this quarter compared to 46.5% last year and our operating leverage was positive 1.7% compared to negative 1.1% last year. We achieved this performance despite the headwinds on revenue while we maintained targeted spending to support our key strategic priorities including our transition to AIRB and our digital transformation. Slide seven. Calculates are encouraging sequential financial performance. Net earnings rebounded strongly from the preceding quarter, primarily due to a lower estimated performing loan provision for credit losses and higher net interest income. Compared to the prior quarter, common shareholders' net income and diluted EPS increased 21 and 20% respectively. Adjusted common shareholders' net income increased 24%, while adjusted EPS was up 23%. Our total revenue increased 6% compared to last quarter, primarily due to 5% higher net interest income, as well as 10% higher non-interest income that reflected increased wealth management fees from the acquisition, partially offset by lower net gains on securities. Our net interest income increased sequentially as a result of 2% loan growth, two additional interest earning days, and a stable net interest margin that I'll discuss in a moment. Non-interest expenses were 7% higher Entirely due to the impact of the acquisition. <coughs> Excuse me. On a year-to-date basis, on slide eight, pre-tax pre-provision income was up 2%, while our common shareholders' net income and diluted earnings per common share were down 7% and 6%, respectively. Adjusted common shareholders' net income and adjusted cash EPS were down 9% and 8%, respectively. The year-to-date decline in common shareholders' net income was driven by the same factors I discussed for the quarter's year-over-year comparison. Turning to slide nine, our third quarter net interest margin of 2.40% reflects a full quarter's impact of the consecutive Bank of Canada policy interest rate cuts in March. Third quarter net interest margin declined 20 basis points from one year ago and was unchanged from last quarter. During the third quarter, the negative impact of the interest rate cuts was fully offset by lower funding costs through proactive measures to adjust the pricing of certain deposit products balanced with maintenance of prudent levels of liquidity. (coughs) Term deposit rates also trended down in the third quarter, reducing the funding costs of both branch and broker source deposits. We expect our fourth quarter net interest margin will be roughly consistent with the current quarter. That said, our net interest margin is affected by many factors, including further Bank of Canada policy rate changes, competitive deposit pricing factors, changes to the cost competitiveness or accessibility of funding channels, liquidity levels, loan growth, adjustment to loan pricing and the ability of our clients to recommence contractual payments following the completion of payment deferral (coughs) periods. Sorry about that. Slide 10 demonstrates our continued investment in executing on key strategic objectives to grow and diversify funding sources. This quarter marks our sixth consecutive quarter with a strong sequential increase in branch raised deposits. Compared to last year, demand and notice deposits increased 34% and now account for 30% 30 37% of our total funding compared to 29% last year. We drove total branch-raised deposit growth of 22%, which resulted in a 14% reduction in the balance of broker deposits. Broker deposits now represent 26% of total funding, down from 32% last year. The reduction in our reliance on the deposit broker network reflects our ongoing efforts to diversify funding sources and drive more branch-raised deposits as we generate additional full-service client relationships. I do want to emphasize that the broker deposit market remains a reliable and effective source of fixed-term retail deposits raised over a wide geographic base and has again proven to be a deep and liquid funding source. While the market disruption related to COVID-19 initially impacted the cost effectiveness of the broker deposit channel, pricing began to normalize in the third quarter in response to policy interest rate cuts and the implementation of facilities put in place by the Bank of Canada to support the liquidity of the financial system. You'll see on slide 11 that our total loans were up 5% over the past year, supported by 12% growth from our strategically targeted general commercial portfolio with 10% growth in Ontario. This very strong general commercial loan growth reflects ongoing efforts to increase full service relationships across our national footprint, while growth in Ontario reflects contributions from our businesses with a national footprint, including CWB Maxim, CWB Franchise Finance, and CWB National Leasing. On a sequential basis, 2% loan growth in the third quarter was consistent with the previous quarter. New funding this quarter primarily consisted of loans that were in our pipeline prior to this period of disruption, which remained within our risk appetite and prudent underwriting guidelines. Line of credit utilization trended down during the quarter, partially offsetting new loan growth. Ontario accounted for approximately 40% of total growth, increasing 3% from last quarter, primarily driven by general commercial and real estate project loans. Looking forward, based on current conditions, we continue to expect mid-single-digit loan growth for fiscal 2020. Turning to slide 12, The credit quality of our portfolio and our provisioning for both impaired and performing loans under IFRS 9 continues to reflect our secured lending business model, disciplined underwriting practices, and proactive loan management, all hallmarks of our historic success. The third quarter, provision for credit losses for performing loans, calculated using our past performance as well as a forward-looking view of macroeconomic factors totaled 11 basis points. That compares to 27 basis points last quarter and a three basis point recovery a year ago. At July 31st, our allowance for credit losses on performing loans totaled $119 million, an increase of $8 million or 7% compared to the previous quarter. The third quarter provision for credit losses on performing loans reflects a shift in our macroeconomic forecast compared to April 30th, predominantly from a slightly longer recovery in the Canadian unemployment rate, we continue to calibrate the macroeconomic variables used in our IFRS 9 models to the average of the economic forecasts of the large Canadian banks. The impact of COVID-19 on the economy and the timing of recovery continue to evolve. Our performing loan allowance for credit losses is estimated considering expectations for future economic factors, portfolio defaults or increases in the risk ratings of our performing loans. Ongoing shifts in these factors will impact the allowance balance in future quarters the provision for credit losses on impaired loans at 22 basis points as a percentage of average loans remained stable with both the prior quarter and prior year. The next slide shows our current and historical trends of gross impaired loans and write-offs. Gross impaired loans this quarter totaled $283 million, or 95 basis points as a percentage of gross loans, and remained relatively stable compared to $271 million and 93 basis points last quarter. The net increase in impaired loans from last quarter was driven primarily by the downgrade of one well-secured equipment financing borrower, partially offset by resolutions in other portfolios. As you can see, our realized write-offs were low this quarter and have remained low through our history, even through periods of elevated levels of gross impaired loans, with the exception of a unique situation in 2016, where we were prevented by provincial regulators from realizing our security rights in our oil and gas portfolio. While the current economic challenges are unprecedented, our solid credit performance in the past in both healthy and challenged economic times reflects our prudent underwriting and secured credit model. While there remains considerable uncertainty in what lies ahead, we are confident our secured and high-quality credit portfolio provides a solid foundation as we continue to navigate this period of economic volatility. Our strong capital ratios at July 31st appear on slide 14, with the change from last quarter primarily reflecting the 30 basis point investment for the wealth acquisition. Calculated using the standardized approach, our common equity tier one ratio was 8.8%. Tier one ratio was 10.2, and our total capital ratio was 12.0%. At 8.1%, our Basel III leverage ratio remains very strong. As Chris mentioned, we continue to expect regulatory approval of our formal AIRB application within fiscal 2020. We expect this transition to boost our capital ratios as risk-weighted assets will be calculated using more risk-sensitive models. Yesterday, our board declared a common share dividend of 29 cents per share, consistent with the prior quarter and up one cent or 4% from the common share dividend declared one year ago. Given the uncertainty of the economic outlook, we continue to perform multiple stress tests using our AIRB and IFRS 9 tools to simulate the, the impact of a more severe and prolonged period of challenging economic conditions throughout our geographic footprint. Considering the results of these stress tests and the uncertain economic outlook, we remain confident in our ability to deliver positive earnings for shareholders while we maintain financial stability, our current dividend, strong capital ratios, and very low leverage. With that, Colin, let's open the lines for the Q&A.
1: Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Uh, should you have a question, please press star, followed by the one on your touch tone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star, followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, uh, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Okay, so your first question comes from uh, Minnie Grumman of Scotia Bank. Minnie, please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, good morning.
4: A, a question about uh, margins first. I know that um, you know in the Q2 call, you talked about how April's NIM was down about uh, 10 basis points from the Q2 average. So presumably, you know, since then the situation has gotten a lot better. So I'm just wondering whether the the, the margin results for Q3 surprised you, and, and sort of what happened going from April's decline up up to being flat for for Q2 as a whole.
0: Yeah, primarily the um, you know on the asset yield perspective, we continued to see what we had expected when we last spoke a quarter ago. So, asset yields declined, reflecting the full impact for the quarter of the uh, of the Bank of Canada rate drops but we saw more positive movement on the on the deposit and funding side than what we had conservatively anticipated a quarter ago. So, in particular, we saw movement in what we call our administered rates, so the competitive landscape began to tick down, and we, uh, we proactively adjusted our rates as the market did. And then in the broker space, we started to see um, the rates respond to the Bank of Canada reductions Quite significantly over the course of the quarter. So we were we were conservative at the end of last quarter um, and commented that we, there you know there were a number of factors at play that would impact what NAM was and um, they went in our favor this quarter and and looking forward we continue we we are we are comfortable that uh, Q4 should be around the same 2.40 as Q3. Thanks
4: for that and and then if I could just ask about. Um Uh, write-downs and and how you foresee that evolving over time and and when you reasonably expect to see a peak uh, in in that?
0: Um, If we just, I'll start and then maybe Chris can chip chip in, if we just look at uh, what has happened in the past, coming out of the global financial crisis, we saw gross-impaired loans peak about a year after the economy turned, and so write-offs would be in about that same period
3: yeah, and so so many, the, I, I think we're probably just, as we come through the summer, we've had a big reduction in our payment deferrals, people coming back online. I think we come into the fall, and, and there is a level of uncertainty of what the fall will bring when uh, expected reduction of government support programs. Um, we're very much following our clients very closely to determine what those impacts may be. So you know we're, we'll continue to follow and be very close to our clients to understand uh, impact. Um, it, I think it's a fluid situation. We're very comfortable where we sit today, how we've established our uh, our um, our performing loan allowance. We're very very uh, confident where we sit with our specifics, um, and we'll continue to evaluate it.
4: And just on on the subject of deferrals, do you have any appetites? Are you considering? extending deferrals at all is that in the realm of of possible as you see it
3: well we're triaging our loan portfolio client by client um we've we went into this process being very proactive and did that review of our clients to see the impact of covid on their business and we peaked at about just over 25 percent and we're down to below 10 um, as we look at clients coming out of deferral, we are looking at each of them individually. Some we've given, say, a one-month extension on a deferral. Every, we just haven't jumped straight to six months on clients. So it is a very client-specific uh, individual decision we've done, and uh, based on the environment that the client operates within, what the security coverage we have is, and to just to make sure, you know, really be confident in our credit quality. Thanks, sir. Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from
5: Sourab Movahedi. Uh, please go ahead. Hey, thank you. I, um, maybe just a quick follow-up, uh, Caroline. You, you mentioned that uh, some of your expectations around the funding last quarter proved to be uh, maybe too conservative uh, relative to the administrative rates and uh, the broker space. Do, do you think you're also being as conservative in the guidance you're giving on Q4? Um, I don't.
0: I don't. I think we remain. We're comfortable with um, as we look ahead. As we look at the maturities in in the broker market, um, we're comfortable with with where we are. Again, there continues to be. You know, uncertainty perhaps marginally less than the funding space with where things have moved in the last 90 days. But again, um, as Chris mentioned, the fall period, what happens as uh, as schools reopen across the country will sort of show what occurs in the economy. So I'm I'm comfortable that we're 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 comfortable and confident with that with everything that we see today.
5: Okay, fair enough, and. Uh and, and just still sticking with that, I mean, I think you've mentioned that the, the new branch in Mississauga just kind of came online maybe a couple of weeks ago. Yep. If if you, if you could go to your slide 10 where you've got uh, what's happened to the mix of uh, funding, for example, last year versus this year, you mm-hmm. know, if you were going to fast forward by a year, is it fair to, notwithstanding the fact that the broker term deposit, for example, is, is still a very good uh, source of funding diversification. I mean, is it conceivable that we could see another 500 basis point relative kind of reduction in, in the composition of broker deposits in the in the overall funding so far? Um,
0: I think that would be a great outcome. I wouldn't bank on it. Um, you know, what we've seen, what we're watching for in Q4 is, you know, the, the piece that we're watching for in Q4 is that property taxes and corporate and personal income tax payments that usually occur earlier in the year have been deferred to August 31st and early September. So we're watching deposit balances carefully to, uh, to see what occurs there. Um, 12-month loan growth, about a third of our branch raised deposit growth over the last 12 months has come in the trust services um notice deposits again um that part of that increase came from a movement from equities into cash so if the equity markets normalize and investors are comfortable stepping back into the equity markets that may trend down a little over time but we've not seen anything material happening yet
3: and i think i would just add that uh uh, sort of that i mean our, our our uh intention on um our branch-based deposits really is how we are interacting with our clients and you know we just delivered our first product digitally with uh, our motive uh, uh, client onboarding and we are converting all the personal accounts to digital onboarding in this calendar year and then next year the commercial clients will be digitally onboarded so we have a lot more boats are gun to shoot to win more deposits and our focus is that Expanded and more diversified funding base, and we're just seeing great, uh, great uh, uh, performance there.
5: Perfect. And and uh, just uh, uh, maybe a couple of quickies on the on the credit. I mean, you you show, I think, on your slide twelve that uh, on total provisions Q two may have been maybe maybe the peak this this go around. Mm Um, and you show that in 2016, I guess, which would have been the last time we saw a bit of a spike, it was around 38 basis points. So, can you? I, I just haven't had a chance to dig it up here. Uh, do you remember what proportion of 2016 loan book was in Alberta versus where you're at uh, today? So I, know, in, I know on your slide, the 11, you say that... You yeah, we go back 10 years. Alberta, yeah. I just want... I'm, I'm curious. I'm just curious. I think we were in the... 30, I, think we were in the I think we were in the 36% range. Yeah, higher 30s, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. so so the composition... Yeah. And, and is it fair to say, Chris, that probably within the footprint, not that this is anything new, but Alberta is probably the one with the, you know, with the most precarious kind of economic outlook?
4: Well, I think
3: that the challenge in Alberta clearly is the oil and gas story, and that is a big uh, contributor to economic growth here, and and it is, you know, clearly it's it's slow. And, uh, you know, that we still have many clients that are operating very profitably within that business, but growth is really the issue that uh, isn't happening in that industry. So um, in terms of, uh, you know, looking at, you know, what, the future would be and that's where you know we we have seen the sort of relative reduction of alberta in our loan portfolio and and the increase in ontario and vc as percentages so i, I you know we're still very focused on our alberta clients we have many very strong ones here we will continue to support them um, but you know we have seen growth being stronger in other provinces
5: yeah, that's really helpful. I guess I, I just wanted to kind of uh, reconfirm. Yeah. I think, what the numbers are showing, yeah. that uh, you are better reserved today even with less of the footprint or of the loan book coming from the, probably the sensitive province anyway right now Right. versus 2016. Okay, thank you very much.
3: Great, thank you. Thanks,
5: Zaraf.
1: Your next question comes from Paul Holden from CIBC. Paul, please go ahead.
6: First is related to those deferred loan payments and the triaging process you've gone through. I'm wondering if you're willing to share more color with us on the triage, i.e., kind of what are the categories you've put those deferred loans into and kind of what percentage of deferred loans fall into each of those different buckets.
3: Uh, well, it's, uh, well, Paul. Um, It's really we have, uh, you know, account managers that uh, lead those relationships. We have, you know, uh, certainly uh, asked them to be very on top of each individual client. Um, And so we've got our commercial and then our our retail. Um, They've done direct call-outs. So we make sure on the commercial side we're understanding their uh, financial reporting, Their you know how that's looking from a revenue perspective for them, so the deferrals are really tied to that on the on the on the retail side. We also have a team that is making direct calls to our our uh, residential mortgage borrowers, seeing where they sit, understanding what their situations are um so it's It's really a, a client by client approach that we've taken and uh as as reported our our reduction in deferrals is uh is meaningful and and as we kind of look forward, there's still more reductions to come. It's 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 working. Uh, we're we're positive as the economy has started to reopen, that there's uh, um, the results of the deferral. I think were very timely for our clients in the uh, economic shutdown that occurred. And as we're reopening, we're seeing uh, ability to come back to full payment. And uh, so. Again, there's uncertainty in the future as we look into the fall, but uh, we are maintaining a very close relationship with our clients.
6: I'll, uh, I'll ask a different way, maybe in particular to the business loans that are still on deferral. Do you have a sense of what proportion of those would be um, impacted by ongoing shutdowns, i.e., what percentage would be earning revenue and earnings?
4: Well,
3: so if we look at our our, our accounts that are in the um, in the deferral category, we also have over half of them are paying interest. You know, so as much as the uh, so as much as we have um, deferral still in place, um, we have gone back to those clients, and they are. Uh, maintaining interest payments current, which is uh, certainly very positive, just not making principal payments, and and that as we tie it to revenue. So we've identified, you know, areas that would be more COVID impacted, and we said hotel and restaurant sector, we said the office and retail real estate sector, and separately the oil and gas, both production and service. Um, on the production side, we have no deferrals in place. Um, but you know, as we look at each of those, we are working with them and clients that are able to pay interest are, and uh, we are working very closely to ensure that you know we've got a line of sight into their uh, um, you know into their abilities to continue to to move forward with their with their um, with their companies, and we still have none of our accounts that have come off deferral have gone directly into watch and impaired at this point, and are arrears in that category is under is in the range of one percent so it's uh, it's an act as you can imagine it's an area of of uh very focused um um activity in the bank to be on top of our clients
6: um, so the- origination pipeline. So I'm wondering what the origination pipeline looks like today. And based on your guidance for loan growth for the year, I would get the impression it probably suggests somewhere around 1% sequential uh, growth in loans. But um, let me know if that's wrong or if that's right, if I'm looking at it the right way.
3: Um, yeah, no, I think your your uh, perspective is correct. It's... Uh, it's a challenging time to be marketing clients. I mean, our focus has been to, you know, ensure that the clients we have today are um, we're meeting their needs and understanding their financial positions. And, and our goal, of course, is with that proactivity, is to create options for companies that aren't feeling that well-served by their banks. So, you know, we're definitely uh, making sure that we're open for business, um, but the right business, you know, very prudently uh, underwritten.
1: Thank you, Paul. Your next question comes from Steve Therio from A Capital. Steve, please go ahead.
7: Thanks very much. Um, hey, good morning, everyone. Could, if I could start- Morning. I just want to follow- Morning. Uh, I want to start just following up on something you said, Carolyn, to, to SORA in terms of the delay in property and corporate tax. That's kind of interesting. Do you normally see a seasonality there earlier in the year? And are you kind of alluding to that seasonality um, could get pushed out into Q4 and maybe we'll see some, uh, you know, a little bit of headwind on deposits as those get
0: paid? Well, property taxes in Western Canada, at least, are usually due at the end of June. Um, So we do see some, you know, that that has been pushed out this year. Um, And then personal income taxes, end of April usually, now it's early September, corporate tax, for December year ends are due, returns and final payments are due six months after, so the end of June. So we sometimes see at the end of June where there is uh, a shift in deposit balances, and we factor that into our liquidity planning. Um, and we're just not quite sure what the impact will be. We're not quite sure how many um, how many depositors have deferred their payments that that was, you know, optional payment deferral. So we're just remaining um, with strong liquidity so that we. Uh, are prepared for what might come, but at this point, we're, yeah, we're, we, it's, again, just part of that conservatively watching and thinking about the current environment and what that might mean for our operations as things continue to evolve.
7: Okay, that's helpful. Thanks. And then, um, did I hear you say that the wealth acquisition would negatively impact operating leverage? If I If I heard that right, is that, like a short-term thing? Is it a, is a statement on mix or, or is it more just the integration charges on a reported basis? Or maybe I'm there. I'm not sure.
0: So um, wealth has a different efficiency ratio structure than the core banking. So, you know, overall it will have a small impact. Right now, sort of this quarter, particularly for quarterly operating leverage, we'll see that for the next four quarters until we do a full wrap um, and, and until we have, you know, the business in the previous quarter and in the future quarter, so we will. That's why we say for fiscal 2020 and 2021, we expect to be reporting the differential with and without wealth in the operating leverage.
7: That makes sense. So it's more just the timing, and it'll it'll roll off in due course. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the um, the last one I had was you know, you've got the branch in Ontario freshly opened maybe it's a good opportunity to talk a little bit about how you're going to leverage that over time. And I guess kind of related, you know, you're close to that AIRB approval. Sure. Sounds like, uh, are you, are you starting to compete for more of that business that would typically be limited to some of your larger competitors or does that need to wait? Like you've got the models up and running, but does that need to wait for actual approval? Um, and is that, I guess, part of the the whole, the rationale and the strategy around the, the branch in Ontario?
3: Well, so ARB is for our whole balance sheet. The Ontario strategy is our diversification into that, you know, obviously very robust market. We're really happy to open it. We've engaged a great team in Mississauga with some, you know, really strong people. We've got the, you know, that on-the-ground uh, branch is, is uh, you know, the meaningful opportunity for us is, is the full client um, Full-service client opportunity, and and that's where we see that uh, just moving our franchise into Ontario, um, and it really will um, complement the existing businesses we have there because we can now also look to provide full banking services to to the customers and clients of uh, of uh, Maxim and National Leasing and Franchise Finance. So we see lots of wins for the Ontario branch, and 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 the future we you know really see uh, the ability to grow as strong. A or B, I mean that will help us compete, of course, on at a more level playing field with the big banks in that the denominator in our return on capital will will be lower, which will then allow us to look at uh, lower risk rated clients and price them very effectively. So, you know, we we see. Tremendous opportunities that ARB provides us from a balance sheet perspective, from an underwriting perspective, from a pricing perspective, from a risk management perspective. You know, every part of our business is touched by it, and it's an opportunity for us to, to you know, just run our bank differently. And uh, you know, we're looking forward to the opportunity to do that.
7: And looking at those lower RWA clients, that's that's something that gets kickstarted sort of in twenty twenty one after the formal approval
3: yes yes
7: yeah yeah, yeah. okay Th- that's good for me thank you
1: thanks so much Steve your next question comes from Darko Mihalik of RBC Darko please go ahead hi Darko you're on the line uh, I can wait wait. be on mute. Oh. <laughs> Hi, good morning. Hi. Good morning.
8: Uh, it's a habit we've all developed now, we put our, mute, our phone on mute, apologize. Uh, so uh, just a few questions here, uh, first I wanted to just get a sense from you, you know, thinking about the deferral programs, but even not the deferral program, even just outside of the deferral programs, if you can give us a sense of, of how many of your uh, borrowers are Participating in government programs, and you know, is there an element there of concern when those programs end? If you just give me some rough ideas uh, that might be helpful.
3: Well, we've, uh, you know, I, I know that we've, we, as we look at the uh, the uh, BCAP program. Uh, business credit availability program that uh, we, we chose to participate only in the EDC portion of that the BDC one required uh, administration that was uh, um, we didn't have embedded in our core banking system so we are participating in the EDC we've got about 27 million dollars approved there so that I think is, is helpful for those clients from a liquidity perspective um, and we're you know actively looking to see where that uh, can help clients as we look at uh, at different um, uh, clients and their current finance position and, and where they you know, what the, uh, what they're facing. Um, you know, I, I don't have the data on clients that would say be using wage subsidy or anything like that, but uh, I would expect that like, you know, most companies out there, the uh, owners and managers have looked at what is available for them in these different uh, uh, programs that the uh, government has put out there. Um, so, but I, but Darko, I don't have the specific data on who's using exactly what. I just know what we provided into the client base.
8: And and just to be, just
3: to be clear, Chris, it's not because you
8: don't know, it's just you don't have the data, or is it that you actually don't know how many of your borrowers are participating in the wage subsidy program? Oh, our,
3: our, our branches would know that. Yes. That would would absolutely
0: be be part of the triage process. For sure,
3: that's part of the triage process. I, I don't have that data personally, and, uh. It's, um, you know, I I would say that the government programs have been very helpful in uh, the amount of uncertainty in our economy, and I can tell you that uh, we were on this from day one. We had a program called CWB Has Your Back. We reached out to all our clients. We made sure they were fully aware of all the government programs. I I just don't have that in front of me right now, but uh, I would say that, you know, our clients, as all the bank's clients, would have... uh, appropriately taken advantage of uh, of the measures that are available. Okay,
8: okay. And, and just to dig a little deeper in, so I think I heard you say that 1% of those that came off deferral, is that right? 1% are sort of like a little bit behind in payments, um, which is not a big number, but I, is, yeah. is that the way you think about
3: that? That's in the range, yeah. And okay. we've been, non, none of the accounts coming off Uh, deferral, have gone into watch or impaired. Okay.
8: Um, But, I guess, are many of them in stage
0: two? So, um, the client's still on deferral. As we talked about last quarter, we have allowed to move into stage two if that was where the uh, conditional probability of default and the models moved them. So, about 22% of the loans Still on deferral are in stage two. Um, of our total stage two at the end of the third quarter, 85% of them are in stage two again because of the models, rather than because of client past due behavior. Um, so I don't have it handy. I think it's immaterial. The ones that have come off deferral, yeah, they're not. They're not a, a significant contributing factor there. Okay.
3: And so, so the
8: ones that have come off deferral. Are they a representative sample of what's left, or or is it possible that the remaining 2.9 have characteristics or or, or possibly could show higher delinquency when they come off deferral in Q4? I would
3: think, Darco, it's mostly timing focused. We have a significant a number coming up um, at the beginning of September as well that would be coming off deferral. Um, it's as we went into the process of uh, setting up deferrals, again, we had that program, the direct call-out program I mentioned, and uh, spoke individually to clients, triaged their credit situation and uh, put in place pretty and you know, we started with the ninety day uh, uh, deferral program and and primarily they've they're coming off these, and the you know, I think it's really affirming the underlying credit quality that uh, that we've historically maintained over many years, and we will continue to be very focused on that.
8: Okay, and and the I guess the the proportion and I mean uh, maybe can we look at it this way, um, Carolyn? Maybe I can just ask you. You know, you said eighty-five percent that are in stage two are maybe that. Let me just. Just so I get the numbers straight, those that are in stage two, how many are deferred? How many aren't? I mean, is there any? Is there a way to think of it that way? I'm just curious. Um, what, what what might be in stage two that's actually not deferred? I guess is effectively what we're looking for.
0: Let us come back to you, Darko. I just don't have. We've, we've got the numbers to piece it together.
8: Okay. Let us let okay. us come back
0: to you. Yeah.
8: Sure. And if I just follow up on one thing. I was. Having difficulty hearing you when you spoke about um, the revenue impact of the acquisition, so, um, I think you mentioned some sort of a proportion of net interest income versus non-interest income, and I wanted to ask if the $5.9 million of non-interest income, if that's a, a normal representation of the kind of revenue impact.
0: That's, that's a representation of about two months. Um, But when we look at what what the businesses have traditionally earned revenue per month, that that would be indicative, so prorating that over. So the proportion that I gave at 12% um, non-interest income to total revenue, that's our projection for fiscal 2021 when we'll have the full 12-month impact of the wealth contributing. Perfect. Okay, that's
8: exactly what I was looking for. Thank you for that, and and have a great weekend.
1: Thanks, Darko. Thanks, Darko. Your next question comes from Gabriel DeShane from National Bank. Gabriel, please go ahead. Uh,
8: good morning. Uh, I'll be quick. Uh, Darko uh, asked the uh, questions I wanted to ask. So, um, anyway, what do I got left here? A, I, or B transition yeah, Thanks for confirming it's going to happen in uh, Q4, I guess, fiscal 2020. we only got one left. Um, can you remind me of kind of phase-in? Uh, we're expecting is that three years uh, to phase-in of the, the capital uplift.
0: Um, we're still, you know, as you can imagine, through the review process, we are actively working with OSB through this and continue to discuss. Yeah, so it's not something that we're uh, we're talking about publicly at this point. You know, when we when we have approval, we'll have more. We'll we'll share more information.
1: Okay, uh, good for me. Thanks. Have okay. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Gabe. Your next question comes from Doug Young from Desjardins. Doug, please go ahead.
9: Hi, good morning, and I apologize. I'm going to go back to the deferrals just hopefully um, quickly here. But, uh, Chris, it sounds like this you expect this to wind down, call it, in the next three months or so. Is that, is that a fair statement?
3: Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, the okay. the um, program is six months. And yeah, so the the total program is six months, so yes, we would be we expect to be wound down in the next quarter.
9: Do you have the LTV for the loans that
4: are in deferral? Well,
3: that would really vary based on the different category they're in. Um, you know, I think when we when we look at each individual client and we determine the triaging of it and determining you know, how it is we look at uh, a loan deferral, I mean, it comes into what is the, um, you know, kind of that repayment profile. Um, And clearly when you've got a a strong LTV coming into it, it gives you more latitude in terms of not requiring uh, principal payments. We've got, uh, as I mentioned, we we have about 54% of the deferrals are paying interest. Um, You know, so again, those are just, Part of the triage is looking at what your security is and what, um, you know, what your, uh, you know, as you look into the, you know, into a, a three or four or five or six month period, what impact that has on the loan horizon. So we're, we're comfortable with uh, the structures we put in place for the clients that have been granted payment deferrals.
9: I know in some of your books that that are interest and principal payments. Like some of them, you're about halfway through, so your LTV would be 50 to 60 percent. I mean, I know it's I know there's a broad book and there's many different things that go in here, but it would would that be a reasonable assumption? It's in the 50 to 60 percent range, or is this just not something that we can get to?
3: Well, it'd be hard to get to that because if like if we think about a say equipment finance loan, that might be true. You know, when they amortize to zero over four to five years, depending on the original term. Um, there's books of business like our hotel business where we start at 50% and it goes down from there. Um, we have books of business that, um, like for instance, our residential mortgage, starts at 68%, for example, in terms of the last quarter. So it all depends on the, the client, the industry, the underwriting structure for each individual advance. So overall, you know, we're, uh, as you know, a conservative lender. And we've had a very strong underwriting structure, and uh, you know a, a, a very a three months or three to six months no payment is not a material change in the
9: uh, in the um, credit
3: quality of that borrower.
9: Okay. And then just on the migration, if I look at your um, some of your nodes, it looks like the performing loan PCLs. Um, looks like the net remeasurement there was about 12 million of performing PCls related to that. Can you maybe Carolyn talk about how much of that maybe related to migration versus management overlay versus model updates? And and have you updated all your PDs for all your portfolios? Um, you know, up to date in terms of you know what we're seeing in the marketplace today.
0: So the I'll I'll start and come back if I miss pieces of it, Doug. Um, on the PD side, our PDs are for IFRS 9 are updated each quarter with the conditional probabilities of default based on the macroeconomic factors, so they are updated to um, include the most current projections around the macro forecast. Um, there would be some um, th- there would be some recognition of the shift between stage one and stage two that would be included in there. Um and sort of the exact nuances we could come back to you on. I don't have them I don't have them top of mind. Yeah, we could we can take that offline. I just wouldn't mind digging a bit into just how, how the
9: migration, um the migration and then the management overlay, because obviously the macro environment today is probably is very different uh, and can is fluid and changing. So I just want to really, can take that offline. And then hey, just on so the yeah. allowances. Yeah. Sorry?
0: Yeah, the only other thing I was gonna say is that we continue to have a positive management overlay added on top of the risk based calculations for the provision.
9: And how do you quantify what that management overlay is?
0: We have not quantified, yeah, it's just part of our overall governance process around the provisioning.
9: And then just allow. Lastly, just trying to figure. And there's many different ways we can look at allowances and try to measure the um, or try to quantify what that allowance is and get comfort with that allowance. So if I look at a total allowance as uh, over LTM net write-offs, it's about 3.4. So. Um, you know, some of your big six bank peers would be lower than that. Some would be much higher than that. Is that is that a right ratio, right way to look at it? I mean, what what do you look at? I know you've got all the models behind it, but from an external um, uh, constituent, like what, what how would you approach that? Is is that a reasonable
0: way to think about it? Um, you know, it's it's interesting through this. Like you, we are looking at every every possible metric that. Anyone comes up with and tries to assess whether that is is additional confirmation that adds to our comfort level with the overall provision. We think carefully about. Um, we also think about, in particular, around stage two, what's contributing to stage two. You know, I, I, I mentioned that 85% of the loans that are currently in stage two are in there because of the conditional probability of default and our view of macroeconomic forecasts. So they tend to be better risk rate credit quality loans. So the provision per dollar of loans that are put in stage two by the models tend to be less than loans that are in stage two because they are past due or on our watch list which end up with a higher risk rating and so a higher dollar of provision for for every dollar of loan in stage two. So if we look at that composition of what is causing our stage two balances 85% 85% of them this quarter are there because of the models. It's 80% in the second quarter. It's between 30 and 50% a year ago. And so a year ago, more of the loans in Stage 2 were there because they were past due or on the watch list. So we had more provided per dollar of loans in Stage 2 a year ago compared to today, and that makes sense looking at the underlying loans and the risk ratings on them. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. Your next
1: question comes from Nigel D'Zouza of Veritas uh, Investment Research. Nigel, please go ahead. Uh, Thank you. Good good morning. I just have two
10: quick follow-up questions for you. Um, First on deferrals, when I look at uh, Stage 1 versus Stage 2, it looks like the bulk of the decline in deferrals uh, were in Stage 1 loans. And I, and I know you're, and I understand that you're looking through that portfolio in detail and, and scrubbing it. But how should we interpret that stage one balance currently? Do you expect uh, the majority where we stand today, the majority of those loans, to roll off without uh, ele- elevated
0: delinquency risk? How should we think about it? I guess we would at at this point. The information is as as clients reach the end of their first at the, the ninety day deferral period that. For what we know now, they would behave like the ones that have rolled off already. So we do have a significant block, again, coming up the first week of September when their payment is due.
10: Okay, that's, uh, that's really helpful. And then my last quick follow-up is just on the write-off rate. You already touched on that uh, previously, but I was hoping if you could maybe frame it relative to uh, to previous cycles. I mean, you pointed to why it was elevated in, in 2016, but uh, now as you go through this cycle – uh, we don't know what the, the number of impairments uh, could potentially be, but do you expect loss rates on impairments to uh, continually run lower than previous cycles, or, or what are your expectations uh, as we go through this?
0: So I would say it, it's that's something that's very hard to predict, right? I mean, we carefully watch asset values. We think about, you know, are our, our assets holding their value when they go to uh, – As we realize our security and we go to dispose of the assets. Um, And I would say it's still early days in that process with this um, period of economic volatility.
3: Well, I would just add, uh, Nigel, that um, just keep in mind that we are a secured lending model so that when we look at write offs, it is based on us having collateral behind the loans. And uh, we think we are. You know the quality of our loan portfolio. You know continues to be very strong. We've got uh, a more diversified by geography book of business than we did in 2016, and certainly than we did in 2008, 9, 10. And uh, again, we're very disciplined underwriters in terms of what we take for security, how we value it at 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 origination of the loan, and uh, and we monitor it all closely. So. Um, it's a good question on write-offs. I think every bank will say, you know, they're on top of monitoring it, and and we are too. I think it's uh, obviously a crucial because that, I mean, ultimately that that matters, and we are making sure that we understand all the exposures.
10: Okay, that's really uh, really helpful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Nigel.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have a question, please press star followed by one.
2: Yeah, thanks, Colin. I think uh, that's it for questions. So we'll go ahead and conclude our question and answer period and turn the call back over to Chris for his closing remarks.
3: Thanks, Matt. And thanks, everybody, for your continued interest in CWB. We continue to navigate the impact of COVID-19 on the economy and execute on our solid plan to transform our bank to increase the value for our people, our clients, and our investors. Our dedicated teams have worked diligently to prepare CWB to transition to the advanced approach for capital and risk management. Leveraging the AIRB approach is expected to result in improved capital ratios that better reflect the strength of our underwriting and balance sheet and better equip us to manage through economic downturns and allocate resources to target business segments that generate the most attractive risk-adjusted returns. Transition to AIRB will also help us compete on a more level playing field against the large Canadian banks and position us to deliver higher growth and profitability with an enhanced view of risk. We have challenged ourselves to expand our capabilities and materially strengthen and diversify our business. Every year, we have improved our processes and added new tools to expand those capabilities. We have diversified with a significantly expanded presence in Ontario and a broader base of general commercial loans and equipment financing and leasing. We also expanded our funding sources through winning full-service client relationships to deliver very strong growth in our branch-raised deposits. Our AIRB journey to date has provided us better tools and increased capabilities to manage credit which will further support our reputation as a secured lender with a strong underwriting and loan management reputation. We are prudently and proactively managing our response to the impact of COVID-19 on the economy, while ensuring we are well positioned to capitalize on the tremendous opportunities in front of us. I would like to thank our staff for their passion and dedication. Thank you, and I look forward to speaking with you when we report our full year financial results in December. With that, We wish you all a good morning. Thank you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.